Now it's Conley, late clock. He'll drive. Floater, no, up to go bear for the dunk. Oh, what a pass. Plumley steps up too hard. Craig had him. Plumley is always overeager, and that opens up the pass, and it's been in the comments that Conley and Gobert didn't have the chemistry, and that time Conley found him for a perfect pass. And on, it should have been an in. Also for oh, big time! All right, they get it into Murray. They're going to try and run some clock here. Jokic look coming up to set the screen now with about thirty-seven. O'Neal gets through it, gives it up. They're not going to get the two for one. Jokic trying to get it. Double team comes. Pump fake. Can't get it. Hook shot. Yes! What a play by Jokic! Alright, let's see if there are any personnel changes here. Plumley is out there for Denver. They'll inbound. They, they have to do it from pretty deep here now. It's not to Conley. It's going to be to Mitchell. Harris denies him again. They get it into the backcourt. They've got 10 to shoot. Mitchell attacking. Knocked away by Harris! And now Denver is pushing it. And why did they do that? There's oh still time. God. They got to push it ahead. Here's Conley. He'll shoot it for three. Oh! <laughs> oh! What a ridiculous finish to a ridiculous series. Mitchell got it taken away. Gary Harris is the hero. They miss a layup on the other end that they didn't need to take. And Mike Conley's three just barely squirts out that could have won it at the buzzer. Well, that is how we called it on the NBA cast. You know, you can join us uh, for that. But pretty much every day during these playoffs, the next game is going to be for tomorrow's Game 7, OKC and Houston. Also, a reminder before we start the main show, this is our last week of five days a week ad-supported podcasts. So we're going to be moving to subscription four days a week starting on September 8th, and you can get special pre-sale pricing that will lock you in at a founding member price that we're never going to offer again forever so go to dunkedon.supportingcast.fm link is in the show notes well we said it before the game that to our knowledge this was the first game seven to ever take place on a neutral floor and how cool that was you don't have the 80 percent chance of the home team winning and this feeling that yeah it's game seven but it's probably gonna be an anticlimax. it really was almost a 50 50 proposition i picked utah before the game which would have confirmed my utah and seven pick you also picked utah before the game although you had picked denver when we talked before the series and this game lived up to its billing. A completely crazy game in a completely crazy series for the ages, I would say. Absolutely. And it was, in many ways, a you, you could call it a typical Game 7, even though it manifested in some unusual ways, in that both teams were a little bit tight, but also they played hard defensively. Both coaches leaned exceedingly heavily on their best players. I mean, we saw a lot of minute totals in the 40s or the high 30s in this one, which is far from a surprise and the but the dynamics of it I, I don't think that like oh it was a game seven tells most of the story I think for me what was so striking was 
everything going Denver's way early. And I mean that in mostly a positive way towards the Nuggets, you know, that was building up a lead through more consistent offense and and also Utah missing some shots and getting in foul trouble. And then Utah just having this wonderful defensive second half fueled by Rudy Gobert, which made it kind of, it didn't feel inevitable because you a team doesn't come back from a lead like that easily. You know, there was that, it was a funny thing of like, we're doing the live show and it's like, you know, okay, the odds, maybe, maybe Utah is better than a 20% chance at this point, but tw- over 20% doesn't mean it's over 50 or anything like that. And then for it to end as acutely crazy as it did was just the the cherry on a f- absolutely awesome Sunday. And let's just talk about the end of the game uh, right now. I, I think, you know, under five minutes to go, it's tied, or, or with five minutes to go, it's tied at 70. And Jokic had involvement in all but one of the five Denver buckets that would take place over the next five minutes. He finally got a drive against Rudy Gobert attacked him for the first time and like wrong footed him skinny Jokic got to the baseline and then a series of pump fakes uh to score a layup inside they double teamed him on one of the next possessions and he hit Craig underneath for a layup he had a nice floater off the pick and roll which might have been like the only floater he had off the pick and roll the entire series one of his signature shots and then the final one, which turned to be the winning bucket, a reverse pivot 360 in the lane and then stepping way out to his right to just barely get it over Gobert. And as so many of his makes do, just dropping with perfect arc teardrop through the net, uh, just a, a thing of beauty, just incredible footwork, incredible touch. And he was really the only player in this game who played well offensively. Uh, I thought 30 points, 12 of 23, 14 rebounds, four assists, and only two turnovers. He did have the five personals. So uh, he finally, with Jamal Murray really struggling for whatever reason, we'll talk about his night, uh, was the victor in the end. And it just, man, Denver, I don't know what it is about them playing these just incredible slog game sevens, but they're now two and one in such games uh, over the last two seasons yeah and worth noting while the one against san antonio was inefficient here Jokic is three game sevens over the last two years so in the, the first one was against san antonio 21 15 and 10 though it was 9 to 26 from the field in the game that they won by four then he had 29 and 13 in the loss to portland which they lost by four and then tonight 30 of denver's 80 points 14 rebounds four assists and only two turnovers in 39 minutes of action and one of the important stories of this game five fouls yeah you know actually i think him getting his fourth foul and going out of the game because malone was definitely going to just play him the whole second half that's just what he does in game sevens uh but him just getting a little bit of a rest maybe just being a little bit fresher than everyone else at the end it just gave him that extra juice because everyone else was exhausted so denver goes up to with that 27 seconds left 27.8 utah brings the ball up floor but they don't really get anything they tried to just push up quickly but they weren't really doing that so timeout called gary harris who had just an unbelievable defensive game in this one uh denies donovan mitchell the ball inbounds donovan mitchell was gassed he couldn't do anything to get open against gary harris 
Then they run a similar play again to get the ball into Mitchell. And he, Harris again denies they have to throw it way into the backcourt. Mitchell runs up, tries to fake out Harris. Harris cuts him off once Mitchell makes a decent move. But then Jeremy Grant, who was guarding Mike Conley, he comes off of Conley, but they really left Royce O'Neal on the backside. Some questioned why he was in instead of Clarkson. So Grant's just makes Mitchell slow down just a second. Mitchell was not looking to pass it. I thought he did not have a good passing game at all. And Harris, incredible competing. This is a guy who just came back from being down and out in this series, was only able to come back in game six because of the delay. Knocks it away from Mitchell. And then it just... Oh my god. It was I, I just, just so insane. We we had it in the open here, but I, just I, what was going on? So you Utah burned that that timeout to get the ball in. That was their last timeout, and so that was something that I was fixated on because that made it hard for them to advance it. Now you have to score for that to really matter. But Denver gets the ball after the after the Harris tip out, and the ball gets to Jamal Murray with about I think it was about six seconds to go. And Denver is in the bonus, they're ahead by two, and also there's only one jazz player kind of in the vicinity i believe it was mike Conley. no yeah it was Conley, i believe and and then eventually gobert gets back in the play and jamal murray doesn't pull the ball out doesn't try to get free throws doesn't do anything else he passes the ball to tory craig to the nuggets credit like they're running down the floor that's what you would do in normal circumstances don't i think hit. they thought the game was tied i think they just had in their head that the game was tied it might, might have might have might have been a jr smith moment entirely possible and passes it to Torrey Craig. Torrey Craig rushes the layup, misses the layup badly. And because remember, the Jazz don't have any timeouts. Gobert gets the gets the rebound, gets it to Conley, and they're just, Conley's running down. And you realize, oh crap, it was three Nuggets that were down on the play and missed the layup. They're only two Nuggets back. And we're just like, can they get a decent shot? And yeah. they got a decent shot. And Gary Harris like went for a steal or something. I don't know what he was doing. My like, theory, Conley just my went theory right is the, by him. the foul to give. That's my theory, but I don't know that for sure. Yeah. Yeah, maybe that's what it was. I mean, if that would have been really smart, if that's actually what it was. But uh, yeah, I mean, that shot, I thought it was down. Like I couldn't, it was just, whatever happened to you, it was just, a, you knew it was going to be ridiculous. And I mean, there was like a screenshot someone took of like the lower third of the ball, like in the basket, obviously that was going sideways. So it would hit the rim and bounce out at that point. But like, <laughs> just what an insane ending to an insane series. I mean, just think of all the crazy shit that happened in this series. Like there was... The end of game one with like Jamal Murray scoring like 18 points in a row. And? And the eight second violation in game one. Do you remember that? <laughs> well, and then I, I was trying to keep track during the broadcast. I think this was the fourth time in the series that a team blew a 15 plus point lead. It might've been the fifth, fourth time with a double digit lead. And Denver, like they didn't look dominant in the first half, but as I said, everything was going great for them. They were doing really well. We saw that throughout. Remember game five, we thought the series was over. You know, like Utah went out to that big lead and then it's like, okay, you know, too bad. Like they, they could have been a sweep and said it wasn't and they're going through Denver comes back keeps it alive and then eventually becomes the 12th team in NBA history to come back from a 3-1 deficit first time since the 2016 playoffs when it happened twice the Warriors came back against the Thunder and then the Cavs famously took them out after a 3-1 deficit in the in the NBA finals and I mean I I think the 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 next kind of big storyline if we're telling the story of this game is the kind of the 
the twin fates of Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. So Gobert picks up his insanely impactful third foul with 6.54 remaining in the second quarter. At this point, the Nuggets are up 38 to 26. As I said, everything's going right for them. And importantly, it's the first minutes basically of the entire series that Nikola Jokic is on the floor and Rudy Gobert is not. And and Jokic is absolutely feasting in that early stretch. Well, and it really was not even so much him, but they were just going to double team every time. I mean, they tried right. Jawan Morgan. That didn't work. They didn't, Tony Bradley didn't play a minute in this game. He uh, Snyder completely lost confidence in him after he gave up a couple of quick pick and roll buckets uh, to Murray back in game six so uh, the backup center position really was hurting them eventually you know they get down by as many as 19 and we're screaming at the tv like dude you're about to lose this game Center. like you got to get him back in like what are you saving him for like because he's your only hope against Jokic you got to double team every time and they he didn't bring him back in Mitchell goes out with his third foul as well Another, he's like a low foul player so that was seemed even more questionable that he would take him out then he goes back to Mitchell at the end of the second with a unit with Royce O'Neal at center and they're just double teaming every time and then Malone with two fouls took Jokic out at the very end of that stretch but they get it back to a manageable 14 point deficit at half 50 to 36 um while we're on the subject of the first half though I think some of the adjustments that were made were really interesting at the start uh, Seth and I talked about it two nights ago that we wanted to see more of just the conventional pick and roll from the Jazz and I, I that first like five six minutes or so I thought was really interesting Dan because it seemed like the Jazz actually had the run of play but the Nuggets were hitting a ton of shots and so they were down even though I thought the Jazz were kind of outplaying them a little bit during that stretch yeah and then that it seemed like led to Quinn Snyder going away from some of what appeared to work and Utah's offense really struggled honestly throughout the rest of the game the overall offensive rating for them was an 87.8 some of that was fueled by the horrendous three-point shooting early on but yeah they didn't lean a lot on Joe Ingles as a, as a creator they didn't attack the Michael Porter Jr. mismatch as much now Porter Jr. deserves credit for improving as a defender his effort definitely level, and is it, it oh, over the course of the series you know that he looked like a a pretty big goat early on and then got to got to passable status which allowed him to play a little bit more he was plus eight in 17 minutes this time largely you know in bench units when Utah got absolutely smoked part of the reason there were zero bench minutes basically for Utah in the second half and and yeah so I I think that Denver you know they were leaning more on Torrey Craig and Gary Harris dig Harris defensive reasons Torrey Craig ostensibly for that as well he did it a couple of shots in this one and yeah so for Utah I mean it did seem overall you talked about how Utah had the run of play in the first like six minutes or so and I agree with you there and I also thought that you know the margin wasn't necessarily indicative overall though I did think that Denver was getting some better shots early but then for it to swing as dramatically as it did and I think one of the most telling stats well two two telling stats from the second half one only six players played for the Jazz and they only had a total of six minutes and 36 seconds from a non-starter in the second half that was Jordan Clarkson came in for a little bit and Joe Ingles sat for a little bit in that second half and Connolly sat briefly as well and Denver put up a 71.4 offensive rating in the second half Gobert played every second and was spectacular yeah he was I mean particularly in that third quarter where Jamal Murray who maybe he was tired maybe it was better defense maybe it was that contusion that Joe Ingles 
like pretty much intentionally gave him which was a slightly dirty play uh you know going for the euro foul by sticking his leg out and tripping him and uh giving him that contusion that he seemed like he was struggling with but for whatever reason i mean murray was trying to get to the cup gobert was just covering him up absolutely beautifully mitchell switched on to jamal murray and guarded him for much of the second half i mean both of those guys just came out with absolute fire in their eyes from an effort standpoint after having to sit out in the second quarter and he had a couple of blocks on Jokic at the rim and Jokic was able to come back and score later but he was getting dominated in that third quarter he was all over the offensive glass he had seven offensive rebounds although i'm sure he would have loved to have a few of those tip backs back i mean they how many of those did the jazz have in the end yeah they had a, cu- they had a couple quarter. of four shot possessions where they were yeah. trying tipping it tipping it tipping it and all i mean there was a ridiculous stretch i think it was so in the first 20 minutes of the second half denver had 19 points i believe and that's when we the conversation between the two of us turned to should the nuggets change their personnel because yeah they were stopping utah reasonably well you know utah only scored 24 points in that third quarter it was 24 to 15 in the third quarter but denver had you know we knew they were gonna have to score a little bit more to win and instead malone you know you brought this up on the on the cast he's a defensive-minded coach you can see that throughout his entire resume and he generally leaned on his guys you know tory craig and gary harris and they got just enough offense down the stretch to pull out the win all right, much more to come on this game in just a second here. Yeah, and that bench unit for Denver where they brought in Craig and Gary Harris. Jeremy Grant was in there. Millsap got the Keith Bogans in this game. Monte Morris just gave them another place to attack. And I think they just decided that Mike Blown was like, I'm not giving them anywhere to attack anymore. And, you know, we're Donovan Mitchell. We're going to put Gary Harris on you. He was unbelievable. They tried to, like, get some switches. Part of why Clarkson, I think, wasn't playing at the end was because he was just not setting good enough screens to get those switches. Um, and Mitchell was able to get a little bit on Murray. Uh, but other when whenever he attacked anyone else, it wasn't really working at all. Um, well, and remember that small, small pick and roll where they got Mike Conley with the ball, but Gary Harris was on him. It's like, that's not better. Yeah, yeah, they ran a, a pick and roll to try to get Gary Harris onto Mike Conley out of a timeout, which really made no sense. That was clearly a... Whatever was called, I think that was probably a mental error because I think usually the way you'll call those as a coach is, okay, whoever defender X is guarding, you go and set the screen. And so that's, you know, I think they messed that up because they probably wanted Jamal Murray to do that. Maybe there's a pre-switch involved there as well. But yeah, I mean, there was a, there, it was just like such a rock fight. I enjoyed every second of it because just, and I kind of enjoyed the tension of like a real like defensive game for one, too. We haven't seen that many of those, but just like the the level of effort in this game uh, i mean it's really one of the hardest play games i can ever remember seeing uh, and these guys were all gassed the teams combined to go 0 for 12 on threes in the fourth quarter but and you know the jazz were 8 out of 34 nuggets were 8 out of 31 and this had been basically the best three-point shooting series i'd ever seen you know both teams are like well over 40 percent until now and then just everything changed it was but it was the perfect ending to this like incredible yo-yo series where all this like crazy shit happened um i, I want to talk about two different shot shots 
starts for this one I thought were interesting. Yeah. So Jamal Murray, you could really see the Gobert effect in, in this one. Also, some tired legs. Two of six in the restricted area. One of three from floater range. Almost all of which were drives that he wanted to go to the basket, and then Gobert was there, and he's like, no, nah, I'll take the floater instead. Yeah. Three of six from mid-range. Those were more Jamal Murray shots. And then one of six on above the break threes. And then the other shot chart was Mike Connolly. Connolly just couldn't hit anything early. One of And he was unbelievable in this series until yes. then. One of four in the restricted area. Missed all three of his floaters, no mid-rangers at all, and then one of six from three, five of them above the break, and then and one of which was the shot that would have won the series at the end. Yeah, he had some pretty good looks at the end. Um, let's see what else I've got here. Well, I have one more thing I want yeah. to throw out shot chart shot chart wise. Oh yeah, okay. Denver only took twenty four shots at the rim, and something we this has come up with the Bucks all the time. It's not only that they weren't getting a lot at the rim; they also weren't getting fouled. They had thirteen free throws in total in the game. This was an exceedingly low free throw game. It was mostly a low foul game too, but really a low free throw game. Fifteen for the Jazz, thirteen for the Nuggets. The Jazz missed five. I'm sure they would love a couple of those back. Uh, Juwan Morgan, who actually took four of the first five free throws for the Jazz, only made one of those four. And um, and so yeah, you saw the 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 Rudy Gobert deterrent. And part of what makes Gobert special among these like truly elite rim protecting bigs, and we, you know, there there aren't a ton of them in the league, but there absolutely are some, is that he also covers so much ground, and so he can, you know, he had a really beautiful recovery block on Jokic. He had he could be at, you know, like be at uh, defending on the floor, but then still get back and protect the rim. And you, Denver was thinking about his presence constantly in that second half in particular. He is one of the most well conditioned seven footers that's ever played the game i mean you'd throw like you know bill russell wasn't a seven footer but for the time he kind of was you know wilt was it was in good shape although you know it, it didn't take when those guys were playing 45 minutes a game every game you know it didn't take the level of effort that it takes on it on a possession to possession basis here to cover all the way out to the three-point line and they you know teams would run so much that there are just a lot of plays where you just would never run down on, on offense or defense uh back then but i mean you really you know in terms of just the overall effort level that he plays with it's and he's you know he's seven two right like he's he's one of these guys it's not like you know he's like six eleven or something like there's a big difference between six eleven and seven two in terms of just like being a human and being coordinated and being able to move and just your circulatory system working well and all that stuff and yeah i mean he there's very few players of his size ever who are capable of playing like this many high level minutes over the course of, of a whole series and you know I, I thought he was awesome still had like just a few plays you know where he kind of didn't quite close out on Jokic enough to make him put it on the floor or you know just tips that just barely missed um also he got hit in the face <laughs> just like clubbed I, I, in the face on I, that wanted talk, I wanted to talk about that play for another yeah. reason so friend of the pod Mason Plumley. <laughs> was was basically on the floor for they were doing offense defense substitutions and Malone chose Plumley and it makes sense in the in the respect that Plumley is quote unquote a traditional center and Paul Millsap had basically been stuck to the bench other than the Keith Bogans in both the f- the first and third quarters but we saw a specific limitation of Mason Plumley's defensive game is that so how the Jazz got their last bucket was Mike Connolly's getting closer to the basket and Plumley comes out too hard and and then can't recover and not only does he does he not recover properly he also bashes Rudy Gobert in the face which they end up not calling and yeah that would have put the Jazz up one at that point that and that was the play right before uh Jokic hit the what was the game winner I mean maybe that would have changed things or if the Jazz only had to get a two at the end that that would have been that could have changed things too I I would have gotten Millsap there personally Same. although 
he was he's 35 and he you know he'd been on ice since the beginning of the third quarter so but he's he's better than Plumley, I think even now uh, defensively but uh Malone is a bigger believer in Plumley's defense perhaps just because he's used to Jokic and Plumley like seems more mobile and faster even though I'm not even sure that he's better than Jokic in the end because he makes so many mistakes uh what did you think of the play call at the end for the Jazz with where Mitchell got stripped on that play I understand wanting to get the ball to wanting to get the ball to Mitchell and it's true that there weren't as many real weak points on the floor defensively for the Nuggets but I probably would have brought Gobert up for a screen and just and and you use that instead um tried to try to really try and, and had a I'm trying to remember so Jeremy Grant came in he was helping off of Royce O'Neal in that situation this is an offense um well so so he was technically helping off of uh the guy who was one pass away which was Conley, Conley. but then the other guy shifted more towards Conley and O'Neal was the guy who was wide open who was wide open so in terms of I I do I understand the limitations of Jordan Clarkson but really remember that the primary the primary thing for that player whoever that you know that that person is not going to have the ball in their hands other than a situation where they need to shoot and Royce O'Neal was you know that wasn't going to be his play and I think in that circumstance even though like you could think the it's Jordan Clarkson time thoughts at least you know that if if the ball comes to him he's going to take that shot and everybody on the damn court knows it so they might not think the same way about leaving him open and I yeah. thought I thought that was a you know like sometimes people focus too much on the on like the obvious flaws and not remembering that there's an obvious benefit there which is that the guy will take the shot and has a decent shot of making it and Clarkson you know over there was an extended yeah. stretch of this game where Clarkson was the leading scorer on the Jazz he had ten I think he had yeah I think he had he, all ten of his points in the first yeah he did he was the leading scorer for the Jazz at halftime he had ten points on seven shots in the field and had that one free throw on a, on a really nice and one where he got bashed in the head and still finished the dunk so yeah people will concentrate on that I mean you know O'Neal was fresh he'd hit a shot earlier um uh, yeah i think you can criticize that a, a little bit but i could just criticize the play call and it goes back to me it's like the michael jordanization of the game really right like because really before michael jordan there wasn't this throw the ball to your best player and get out of the way mentality in these well, especially down too this isn't a circumstance where you're trying yeah. to get the last shot yeah i agree with that so what I yeah I think you the math says you go for three in that situation now the fact that they couldn't hit a three all game maybe makes you more think that we should go for a two and you think that you've got the momentum you've come back uh they're looking tired one other note so the, the you, other team's best player has five fouls yeah. so he could have easily fouled out in overtime yeah but that said you know I think back actually I remember it was the 1999 national championship game UConn against Duke and UConn ended up winning it. Duke was the favorite and Duke had a chance. I can't remember if it was to tie or win it at the end. And the play call was let's just throw it to Trajan Langton because he's our best player. And he was being guarded by a guy named Ricky Moore, who was like just an unbelievable college defensive player for UConn. And Trajan Langton like couldn't even dribble against the guy. He ends up just getting like a terrible shot and they lose. And yeah, Donovan Mitchell, unbelievable in this series. He's the Jazz best player. He is the future. He's been the emotional heart of the team through everything that they've been through. But to just call nothing but a straight ISO for him, 
a play that didn't have an option for a three-pointer against Gary Harris when Mitchell is completely out of gas like he wasn't going to get a good shot against Gary Harris like Gary Harris is too good and he was too good in this game and to I really think that Snyder just deferred emotionally instead of giving him really putting him in the best chance to succeed whether that was bringing Jamal Murray's man up to set a, a quick screen or slip it or or any and the other thing that that does too is you don't have four guys just waiting there and help position right like you at least make them move a little bit you make them cover up man now at least when you drive there's only three guys there instead of four and they could make a mistake uh, in a rotation or something you know you, yeah that was something i criticized the jazz for a lot throughout this game was uh, it's a different part of the process but the same basic idea was that they there were a lot of times where they weren't breaking the paint until 10 seconds left in the in the shot clock and the problem then is you're not giving the other team a chance to make mistakes and that's especially in a, a, a game seven where everybody's trying really hard that gives you outs and they, as you said they didn't have many options on that one and that, that is a very fair criticism yeah and you know i positive hey maybe they could get mitchell something like run the play for him for a three off the ball or something like that too you know and something he's shown just in the like series. well yeah i mean there's this thought that like the best player has earned the chance to iso at the end of the game and you know we're gonna live or die with our best player and yeah you know what like nobody's gonna criticize you for that except for us uh but it's also particularly with this matchup i mean like as particularly after you just had to call a timeout because david mitchell was so exhausted that he couldn't even get the ball in the inbound much less actually beat his man off the dribble when it was Gary Harris, who again was at one of the best ever one for nine games I can ever recall seeing. Um, and he, he clearly just did not have his shot and he hasn't had it all year, frankly. But uh, yeah, I, I really question that, uh, that decision. And like Conley had just gotten something really good in pick and roll as well. Like there is, you know, you could have tried to involve Plumley, see if he would make a mistake somehow. I was just, it was, it was disappointing for me that that's the play that they ran at the end. Anything else you want to talk about on this one? Maybe we'll, well, we'll have time. I guess we'll talk tomorrow about the, the next series. Well, I want to just mention that Michael Porter Jr., his success in this one was not really as a jump shooter, though he did hit one eventually important corner three. It was more battling on the glass, getting, getting a couple of things around the basket, and good for him to improve defensively in the series and also understand, you know, my, for whatever reason the shot isn't falling, try to do some other stuff. And I, he had a couple big offensive rebounds and wasn't perfect in this game, but still helped. No, I agree. And uh, we talked about it during the game that he, he like made it through the playoff crucible they were they look completely done after game three and they played a little better in game four but just because murray went crazy offensively like they weren't they wouldn't have been in that game otherwise and through four and a half games they just had no chance of stopping the jazz and porter was out there at least a little bit in their comeback in game five he was better in game six and there weren't really any errors that he had in this game it wasn't communication now they did a much better job by switching the scheme up and not switching unless they absolutely had to you know i think that was just so much better and, but you also had more defensive players like a gary harris who actually were going to get through that screen and but porter i mean he he made it through and at least wasn't like a complete liability you could say they should have attacked him a little bit more as well maybe you know when that when they went that was one of the things that they really kind of went away from that was working as recently as game five but he at least like i think this is really important growth for him as he's going to need to move into a larger role yeah his jump shot was off in this game but he contributed on the offensive glass he had three big offensive rebounds during their run like he was out there for some of their biggest runs in the series and that was pretty massive um i got a couple other notes here non-basketball related at least or not game related 
the low camera angles Ugh. like we're supposed to have a space force soon can we just fire that into the sun like on crucial possessions you're giving us this shit now like we're trying to call the game we have no idea what's even going on like i don't know how the viewer is supposed to see it like you just see hey this is great like we see the three guys who are closest to the camera these guys are seven feet tall you can't see anyone behind them so maybe maybe you could show us a little higher camera angle um along with that the snoop corona commercial and the quicken loans these are the people in your neighborhood who we forced out of their homes with our subprime mortgages uh, a decade ago um we could get rid of those too but uh i love the modello commercial those those ones uh that's pandering as well but at least it's like my kind of pandering those <laughs> those ones i, I kind of like the, the music is good like good people good stories a, a more a, a, give me more of the modello less uh less corona um they're probably like owned by the same company or something <laughs> i bet it would be hilarious but uh all right let's uh take a quick break we'll talk boston toronto yeah, it just occurred to me after the break that we maybe spent more time talking about this series than any series in the history of Dunked On. At least any early round series. Like, all of these were close. Well, I, actually, like, the first series we ever went deep on, which was 2015 Spurs Clippers, that might be the only other one. But this one, like, we did a half hour just on the preview of this series. We're so interested in it. And, and, and you uh, know what? Good on us. That, that was the right decision. <laughs> this, this, this series ended up being fascinating. <laughs> And I don't think I'm going to spend the entire time talking about the Celtics 102-99 win over the Raptors, talking about Marcus Smart's flop, but... It like I talked about it as flop innovation because what he did, if they hadn't credit to Nick Nurse for challenging it and, and the challenge succeeding, thank goodness. Um, I want to start there because also Marcus Smart is the story of this game. He hits six three pointers in the or sorry five three pointers. Six is the NBA record. Five in the fourth quarter. But I want to start with the flop because I'm a little bit scared. We you and I have talked about some of the other kind of like foul drawing stuff that's been going on in these playoffs, including st- stepping over fallen guys which actually was important in Gobert getting a foul in Jazz Nuggets as well though that seemed inadvertent from Tory Craig he just kind of went into Gobert but Marcus Smart functionally took away a two-on-one fast break by running into and then falling away from Pascal Siakam who did nothing and I'm concerned just like as somebody who's a fan of, of soccer that the players are getting a little bit too smart about oh, I hated that I just used that word intelligent and proactive about gaming officials and it's very apparent in this specific series because there is a prominent guy of it on each side. Yeah, Lowry, he he and Chris Paul with the, well, okay, I just got a loose ball and I feel even the slightest bit of contact. So I'm going to fall down and pretend that I was tripped and the referees just call that in his favor every time. Not even like there's just there's got to be like, the referees need to read the story. The boy who cried wolf before every playoffs and just be like, hey, you know what? If Marcus Smart or Kyle Lowry falls down, we're there needs to be a heightened standard of proof. Like you damn well better be sure that these dudes uh, fell down. I, I think and I've already seen the next frontier now, Danny. I fear it. But it happened perhaps accidentally in the OKC Houston game last night where I think it was someone on OKC who was about to get a wide open corner three. And I think whoever it was who was guarding Steven as I could have the players wrong, like just was almost kind of grabbed him. I don't even know if it was intentional, but like you could absolutely do that at this point, right? Like if you just see the other team is like about to shoot a jumper, particularly because there's not really continuation on a jumper, right? Like on a layup, you got to be really quick because once the guy picks up his dribble, there's going to be continuation. But on a jumper, you know, you'll see all these plays where it's like, oh, there was an off ball foul on a screen and they always end up ruling. No, it was before the upward shooting motion when they 
look at the review so if they're like let's say you're the guy who's supposed to close out to the corner and you know you can't get there or like let's say you're get someone is screening you you could just bear hug that guy before the guy can get the three-pointer off you're not in the bonus you just take away the wide open corner three that they just had so uh, uh hopefully hopefully no players are listening to me right now <laughs> Yeah. Uh, let's get let's get back to the game though here this was actually a really fascinating game it was in and, the end and i thought that one of the important elements of this game was the raptors being more aggressive especially in the early going pascal siakam who had a, a rough game one just really getting after it his first siakam's first quarter four points two of six but he was getting to the basket had an assist as well had a steal and but you saw it really throughout and, and while the, the raptors weren't always hitting shots it looked to me like the the effort level and just the quality quality of play was significantly better for them and so that led to you know it did game one felt like an aberration because it was just it was so the pendulum swung so far one way but what has to be concerning to the Raptors is it swung the other way overall and you can argue oh you know it's the basketball Marcus Marcus Mark going six of eleven on threes all these other things but it still counts as a loss in the loss column anyway yeah it it does and Boston again right up around 40 percent on threes making some pretty difficult attempts it was really Tatum and Smart who were the chief concerns for the Raptors Uh, they combined uh, for 10 out of 18 and then 11 out of 40 on threes for the Raptors and they definitely had their chances like Van Vliet he's been infected by whatever got him in the second round maybe he just can't play in the second round because he was terrible against the the Sixers as well he actually was better from two-point range in this one but yeah he had some open threes that really could have made a huge difference um, Ananobi was really the only guy who was able to hit anything. He and Ibaka, who are kind of the, some of their shakier shooters in the, that starting group. Lowry was 0 for 7, other than just like one little stretch in third quarter of game one beginning of the fourth you know he really just has not been able to get going at all uh he got a few bs fouls in this one but but other than that really wasn't able to get much going uh and getting back to Siakam, I think he actually has had pretty good success getting looks against Jalen Brown, who's been the primary matchup on him in a lot of these. I think the Raps should really try and milk that when they can. And I think they should milk it, not giving him the ball to attack off the dribble from the top of the key. Like Boston is too good with their help. They're too good at showing hands. Uh, and, you know, Siakam likes all these spin moves. So like some of their guards like Tatum and Smart, who are real ball hawks, can kind of sneak in behind him and get a steal or or he tries the spin move and he spins right into someone and then he's off balance and he can't really make a play i think he's had much more success attacking either on post-ups or like isolations if you get him the ball with a live dribble 16 feet from the basket they do Celtics admittedly do a pretty good job of making those catches difficult but you know they've got it's not like this is the Sixers they've got guards who can get in the ball there and let him just uh, attack makes his reads a little bit easier as well if the help is coming but they have not really doubled him at all and so I think against Brown in particular he's been able to spin into the lane and get decent looks against Smart particularly if he tries to dribble against Smart like he's not going anywhere like Marcus Smart's just going to come off every time and those have been the the main defenders on him throughout the course of the game so if they're going to start Jalen Brown on him which you know the matchups are a little weird in this series uh that's when i would try to get him going i thought that's when, when he had the most success uh, in this game uh in his 43 minutes and you mentioned that he had the 11 points in the first half he really struggled in the second and uh finished with 17 points uh, on 18 shooting possessions and, so it was another inefficient game for him and brown did have some nice defensive possessions towards the end you know forcing yes. some, some 
some tough shots and some contests, but I think that the overall balance does go in your favor. Something that I thought was really intriguing about this game was we had a couple of, at moments in time, really surprising top scorers for their respective teams. First one was Robert Williams in six and a half minutes, leading the Celtics and scoring with 10 points in the first half, including that dunk where he fell backwards. Fortunately, Williams was okay after that. And then um, at the end of the third quarter, Ananobi was the leading scorer for the Raptors. He had 17 points on six and nine from the field, four or five from three, including two of three, some big shots in that third quarter. Yeah, and I thought OG did a pretty good job again defensively. He did a pretty good job as a driver and cutter as well. I mean, he ended up leading the team in points. And so one of the big questions I think that people had was, if they leave him open is he going to be able to punish them is he going to be able to drive under control and make plays or make shots and you know the answer so far has been very positive yeah those, for him those two opportunistic cuts in the fourth quarter i thought were really important and when the raptors offense was flatlining a little bit and the celtics you talked about how they have ball hawks Inanobi, when well timed can use that against the celtics by basically running when their back is turned and hoping that he could that the the ball handler can see him can see him and oftentimes that angle is actually pretty much there because the the Celtics are pinching in off a near side corner. So I think that there will be opportunities for Ananobi around the basket. He's not going to make four or six threes every every night, but Lowry and Van Vliet aren't going to shoot a combined three of 19 on threes every night either. But we should probably get no. to Jason Tatum. I think that's I think that's the other the other big thing we should Yeah. And the biggest reason that I picked the Celtics in this series was I thought that Jason Tatum and Kemba Walker, particularly at the end of games, and Kemba hit maybe the biggest shot of the game with that uh, crazy stop on a dime uh, mid-range shot, but that those guys can just create and make difficult shots in a way that no one on the Raptors can. And Tatum, I mean, he was 8 out of 17, missed a lot of twos, but was 4 of 7 on threes. I mean, he continues to just shoot the shit out of the ball. And 14 of 14 from the line, Nick Nurse was very critical of that after the game what did you make of some of the calls that he got i mean i i think it was more born of complaining that his guys aren't getting enough calls like i didn't see a lot of like bad calls in favor of tatum i thought that the raptors just bailed him out too much particularly at the rim on some of his drives because they were contesting him well at the rim and making him miss he's not like an unbelievable finisher around a big like gasol but you know like for example gasol the the play that he fouled out on right that was on tatum wasn't it i believe it was yeah came down on his arm and like you know that was just a bad play right you got to just stay vertical and uh you know i think gasol although ibaka shot it well i thought gasol was really important to what they're doing they i think they just generally play better offensively with just one more ball mover in there i think they can get a little sticky for them when they don't have gasol and that you've got ananobi and ibaka both out there as well they kind of it's and powell is not really a great ball mover either so you can kind of get you lose like that connectedness that ping ping that makes the raptors offense good um so yeah i mean that was that really hurt for him to fall out in 21 minutes but um I think the Raptors just need to be a little bit more disciplined than they were because when they didn't foul, he really struggled to finish. Right. And and I think that some, I, I don't know exactly how you, for the Raptors, I mean, the series is far closer, you know, in terms of overall talent level than the 2-0 indicates, but now they have to win four out of five. Like that's the way this works. And yes, the Raptors are, well, you could argue that, yeah, well, yeah, they are fortunate because theoretically, if this were home and away and they lost the first two, then they'd be totally screwed because it'd be, there'd be three more games at the Garden and only two at their arena. But it's, I, I think that the Raptors, you know, there, there were a lot of things overall in this game, I thought defense 
defensively, you know, there were a couple of fouling inconsistencies, but I thought they played better overall. I thought that they, but offensively, the Raptors looked more like themselves. And it was, this game was more about them missing, them missing shots rather than them not getting them. And I think that's an important step forward. So, I mean, I guess you, I, I try to think about because something we often talk about in these series is, well, what do you change? And I mean, there were some interesting things. I mean, like we saw for, there was, there were some extended stretches where Kyle Lowry was the default defender on Jason Tatum and I actually thought the Celtics didn't do a good enough job attacking in those circumstances. But process-wise... I mean, I'm getting Siakam the ball in different spots. I think that's something that they could, that the Raptors could materially do better. And outside of that, I mean, maybe I, I think they should play Norm Powell more. I think that this is a more, they need more offense than defense. Yeah, he sucked tonight though. That's true. He did. Um, I just think you kind of, you, you're going to need those guys at some point. And like Norm Powell playing 13 minutes. Um, And also- I didn't get the Boucher thing at all. Particularly like that, that really didn't make playing any Boucher sense Playing Boucher in a together. Yeah. I mean, he was 0 for 1. He just missed a three. That was at negative nine. Um, um, I mean, I guess they wanted to just maybe they felt like they could steal some minutes there because, you know, Boston, some of these second unit groups aren't that good. But uh, I mean, I, we're getting into adjustments now. There's still a lot more to say about this game. But uh, I mean, they I think they really need to go for the kill in those minutes. Agreed. When and just really smack them because otherwise uh, they're just going to like they, I think they are really at a significant disadvantage when Boston has their starters in there. Let's talk a little bit. I, I thought that something else that was telling about this game and intriguing, you know, we talked about the crucible for Michael Porter Jr. earlier in this podcast, and we saw some of the Williams and Williams minutes for Brad Stevens, also Robert Williams, like the independent of that had that night, had that great first quarter where he scored 10 of his 11 overall points. And I thought, you know, last series, there was more of an, an Ennis Canner spot. This series, I don't think that there is, and full credit to Brad Stevens for not playing this guy. And I thought the Williams and Williams minutes worked reasonably well. Yeah, uh, you know, Robert Williams, I continue to say that they need to really watch it with him. And, you know, Tice got into a little bit of foul trouble, I guess, early on. And, and uh, Williams was going well, so they played it more. But particularly in the third quarter, I thought uh, Robert Williams was really, like, out of gas as the Raptors were making that run to go up uh, 78-66. So he definitely has to get in better condition. And that's something that Brad Stevens has to monitor really closely. And then Grant Williams, I think if I'm the Raptors... I would try to attack him just because he's going to foul. Like he definitely fouls a lot. They have talented foul drawers. Perhaps I would love to get Kyle Lowry and pick and roll against him and just see if Lowry can drive and uh, get some contact. Uh, Williams is a foul magnet. Uh, and I think he has that reputation now among referees uh, as well, perhaps earned, although he tries to really stay vertical as much as he can. Um, and, they also just need to do a better job of not guarding Grant Williams on some of these backup units. Now, you know, it ended up being 78-66, the great challenge by Nurse to wipe out the the smart foul that that he drew and then make that into a three-point play instead. I mean, that's when you know, if there's a point where you know you can put three points on the board, you always do it. If you're, if you know, it doesn't matter when in the game it is like, and cause you know, you're not probably going to get that opportunity again. Um, and you can put another foul on one of their good players and take a foul off of one of your, your good players. But so I really lauded Stevens. One of the questions we had in the preview of this was what's he going to do with the minutes? Because, you know, Kemba Walker is playing like 35 in the last series. They didn't really need him that badly. Uh, he generally hasn't played guys that much. He's gone to his bench. And as it gets up to 12, usually that would be like bench time for Boston. 
late in the third no he goes back to all five starters and they score a quick seven points and that's when the run really started and yeah you know him making that move isn't what made marcus smart make five threes in the first like six minutes of the quarter but it definitely helped and particularly helped them defensively they got a lot more ball movement tatum was six assists he had one of the better passing games we've seen particularly he set up smart for those first two threes where van vliet you know those guards love to pinch into the nail and so he was able to throw a pass over the top to smart van vliet the one negative he has defensively is he just has really short arms and so he's not able to really close out and challenge that well so smart hit a couple of threes on him and that's really how he got going uh so i, I thought yeah, that and, was and, all really and good. also using you you brought up the tendencies that the comb it's the combination of fame fleets it's using his kind of energy and enthusiasm against him in respect and and you think yeah. about how that would have worked if if gordon hayward were the fifth guy for the celtics but alas he's not but marcus smart shot it like he was gordon hayward in that fourth quarter even better than gordon hayward there and then like Kemba Walker's night I thought was really fascinating he just couldn't couldn't drop anything in the ocean for a lot of this one and I didn't think it was mostly things that the the Raptors were doing particularly well you know kind of echoes of Fred Van Vliet's night where Kemba was one of eight from three Van Vliet was three of 12 and it wasn't like to me the sh- the attempts were particularly bad they just weren't falling in but then he just you know get he was ended up six of 18 from the field more f- shot attempts than than overall shots but he does make I would argue the biggest the biggest single shot of the entire game yeah and he had another big one where he blew by Ibaka to get a layup in that quarter and so he's still even having had a very rough game you know at one point he was two of 14 he made his last four shots of the game to finish 6 to 18 including a, a a really big three I think in the fourth as well but he still just has like you got to deal with him right like you can't do your normal defense you have to the bigs got to get up to the level of screen because he's just too good at setting guys up even with van vliet on him he's able to get that three-pointer off the bounce he was one eight in this game but you know to get eight three-pointers off uh, being guarded by fred van vliet a lot of the time or kyle lowry that's pretty darn good and van vliet is really good but kemba is better at setting up the screen tice is a good screener and so then you got to get the big up to the level and then Kemba Walker is fast enough to blow by you. We saw him do it against the Bucks when he had that 40-point game. So like he's definitely a guy that you have to respect. And he didn't do as much distributing as he did it in game one. But uh, like he can get a shot pretty much any time against this Raptors defense at the end of the game. So that was really big. Uh, I got a couple of smaller notes here. Anything else that sticks out to you? He ended up plus seven, but I just have trouble figuring out where Semi Ojale is playing in the series. You know, like where he, where he really fits in. And well, well, so they went to Grant Williams instead of him. Yeah. Did you? Uh, no. And he he missed three threes in ten minutes. I assume that was the reason. Yeah. I. So what I'm saying is like moving forward. Like I don't know how much Semiojo is going to play in this series. Well, I I really like him guarding Siakam, so I thought he did a great job on that in the yeah. first game. And yeah, I guess that's... he might have played in the second, but they just went back to their starters and they and they played all those guys in the high thirties. Yeah. So maybe there maybe there is a spot for Ojale in in that kind of a role. Yeah. Also, Marcus Smart had some huge defense. Like we talked about the flopping and and this and the five threes in the fourth in the first half the fourth quarter but he had some absolutely massive defensive plays as well including that block on Siakam right at the very end yeah so we should talk about the end of the game Raps have a chance to get a two for one initially and then but they're down three so you got to get the two for one he gets that great strip on Siakam almost just an incredible behind the back save but it was a good job by Zach Zarba seeing that his left foot went out of bounds just and so before. then what'd you say just before like it was it was yeah it was bang, exceedingly bang. close uh but i think they got the call right there and then 
they inbound the ball to Siakam in the corner, which was a little weird to me. Uh, and I mean, this is an indication again that I would like to see the court widened where you can at least have, you know, more than like an NBA player's shoe width of space in the corner, but you know, still got to know what's there. They're down three and they had to get the two for one. And ironically, they did because he stepped out of bounds with like 30 seconds, 31 seconds left. Uh, then they come down. Kemba had just gotten a play in pick and roll against Ibaka on the last possession after they tried to hide Ibaka on Jalen Brown and Jalen Brown went to set the screen and that's how they got Ibaka onto Kemba then the next time down they were pre-switching everything they couldn't get anything going Brown went up to set the screen and he had to take an impossible step back on OG and Marcus Smart went for the offensive rebound which he'll do but man that was a dangerous play they end up tipping it away from him and so Siakam finally corrals possession with 4.5 left they have a timeout remaining what do you think there should they have taken the timeout they had Van Vliet going ahead and Siakam got it out of his hands pretty quickly pushing it up I I actually so at the moment I thought they should foul partially because I thought I thought I sorry they should call timeout because I thought Boston might try to foul um and but Van Vliet gets gets there I I do like the timeout unless it looks like you have something like really clear but it was a clear it was a judgment call like I think I might be in the minority there yeah I, they ended up getting you know Van Vliet got a look it was on the move it was a tough shot Tatum I thought Tatum did a nice job recognizing the down and distance being like oh crap I need to close out on him this is the only thing that matters yeah and I think you know part of the reason you push it there is you know you just had an offensive possession is it in your head as a Boston Celtic that yes we cannot give up a three in this situation we're up three or is it in your head that you're you got to foul if you're going to foul to put him on the line and not give up a, a three-point attempt you know so I like the idea of pushing it if there was 6.5 left I think you definitely do it 4.5 I mean that made it just a little bit tough right I mean he was getting that off all he had time to do is dribble to a spot and shoot the three from that spot like there was no time to make a pass I probably would have called it at 4.5 but I mean that's really close and to say oh if there was two more seconds left it probably wouldn't have been a smart move like i totally understand what he was thinking yes. and you don't even know that you're going to get a better look than what he got frankly by well, calling time out and advancing seen, the ball we've seen the celtics do an incredibly good job of managing those circumstances you know like yeah they've got that two three zone they'll fall at the end of the game like you, they can put in more defensive players it's and I, it's and I really believe tough. that was that was Nick Nurse's last time out. So had they used it, then Boston could have even gone to that five out thing that they've done before and f- right. forced forced Toronto inside the arc and then said, "Hey, you're gonna you're not gonna get a good shot." Yeah, what was that? The Portland game where Lillard just like threw it to Nurkic. Yeah, and he's like, "Oh wait, I, we're we're down three. Yeah. Whoops." Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So, but that that was all really fascinating. Um, oh, oh, should we talk yeah. about the Marcus Smart pass that hit the shot clock? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've never seen that before. First of all, who throws a pass from one corner to the other? And the only way to get it across is like, he didn't want to hit the rim with the pass, so he threw it so high that it hit the shot clock. It was great, and then and the pass actually got there despite hitting the shot clock. But and so Kyle Lowry eventually rushed. Prudently points up at the shot clock and go like you could probably still see it rattling. It's like yeah, they hit the shot clock. I, I love that. It was fantastic. Um, couple other smaller notes here. Jalen Brown had a rough fourth quarter defensively. He gave up a couple of cuts. He was the victim 
on that OG backdoor where he dunked it on Tice. Uh, and then he gave up another cut later as well. And that that backdoor actually got Jalen Brown taken out of the game for about five minutes from like, you know, maybe the nine minute mark until the four minute mark. And Grant Williams was in. I thought that, yes, they were having success during that period coming back. But, you know, Grant Williams was committed a couple of fouls and did nothing offensively, really. So I probably would have gone back to Brown earlier there. He only ended up playing 36 minutes in part uh, due to that. Uh, I realized that he made a couple of mistakes. But, uh, you know, he's, he's a little bit better than, than Grant Williams. How, how so have, you might want to get him out there. How have we gone this long without talking about the air punch? A technical foul called on the rigid interpretation of the rules with a minute 10 to go in a clutch second round playoff game. Well, and I really, we, we didn't credit the refereeing, I think, enough other than that one play where Gobert could have got the end one. But uh, in the Denver-Utah game, you know, I think like Mitchell could have gotten an air punch technical. Gobert had a, a play where he thought he got fouled in the fourth quarter where they just, the referee just looked the other way to avoid calling the technical. And uh, yeah, it was Sean Corbin. He's the one who, who made the, the call on Smart that got overturned. And he also, you know, letter of the law. I mean, the younger the official, the more likely they are to kind of stick to this letter of the law. Billy Kennedy was the guy guy in the utah denver game and so he's got a little more seniority and so he's gonna like you know not just like be a robot well, and, in these situations and, and here, but corbin here, definitely was here's the thing you and i talked about this a lot in the context of the porzingis ejection in game one of dallas clippers which feels like a lifetime ago is that i i if the league makes that an automatic technical and the way that the officials are you know you could think about like not only is it the last two minute report but they basically get that for the entire 48 we don't get access to it but they do and and if that's the way, like making it a mandatory makes this, you know, like it was called the way the league intends for it. So my issue is the league should change that intention. But until they do, like the, they they technically called this right. I I'm, I agree with you that I, I laud the officials for that. But it, I, I worry there are some who are like, oh, come on, you can't call yeah. it in that circumstance. But here's the problem. What happens when player X, especially if it's somebody with a reputation or that's on a glamour team, does that exact same thing? doesn't get called for a technical and it ends up swinging a game then you get into the whole like subjective the way to think about a subjective enforcement is to think of the worst possible scenario and then think about how you would feel then it's not you think about the best possible scenario and then how you feel then and that's what concerns me is like it i i i think it's right to have some subjectivity i i agree with you i laud the officials from the from the previous game but or from the for actually the later game but it's it, it is a very real challenge and i think that with the way the the way the officials are graded and evaluated now this should not be a surprising result no no it shouldn't i i put it on the league and i think it's just one where like is are there really people clamoring for like oh man we can't let these guys do an air punch and like tatum sort of realized what he was doing and like tried to stop it's like like our fans just being like oh i, I i'm so sick of this like these these guys air punching like i just uh especially especially if he's not actually turning towards and approaching the official yeah right like or another I, player I, or anything I, it seemed like it used to be where you had to go towards the official and really like accost him to get called for a t and now if it's just like all right i'm just gonna turn away and scream now there definitely are people who are like oh you know it's the emotions they can't control themselves well that's complete bullshit right like you absolutely can control yourself like college players don't react this also, way also you can do anything else calls. like we've seen al horford and a lot of other players there you can get away with a lot if you don't do that specific thing yeah but it, like what is it about that as opposed to anything else 
that really you know so so i just like i don't like that there are these automatic triggers on a technical files like there's too many technical files or i mean the other thing you could do is just have it be like college where like a technical foul is like a real penalty you know like because players could kind of just talk that's ah, just you know it's not two shots in the ball it's just a it's just one shot it doesn't really matter guys just get technicals big deal but you know if you actually make it a big deal then players won't do it anymore but now you get at the point where hey like one point actually really does matter at the end of the game you know there's the Porzingis thing Paul George got teed up a couple of times so I, I think that could just can go away as far as I'm concerned um and uh, what you mentioned about the subjectivity though is it's like uh, I had an executive text me during the game uh and say well the, the league is really focused in uh, on these air punches until it's a superstar who already has a technical and then they ignore it you know so it's uh, like I'm complaining that it's too objective this executive is complaining that it's objective until it's subjective and I just uh, just fewer technical fouls as far as I'm concerned like if you want to call a technical for like a physical altercation like I'd like to see more technicals as as far as like you know hard fouls and stuff or or like or or you know, a guy be undercutting in well actually i guess that'd be a flagrant but like the uh, seth brought this yeah. up about like kyle lowry undercutting was yeah these absolute no hope chances of drawing an offensive foul when you're really making a dangerous play like absolutely i, I mean it, i'll tell you what if contesting a shot and sliding under a jump shooter is a flagrant foul it sure as hell should be a flagrant foul when a guy's going a million miles an hour to the rim and you just bridge him yeah absolutely um and it aligns with player safety and all that too all right i think we are we are beginning to go a bit afield here and what do you think happens the rest of the series quickly i still think these teams are close to even and remember these are all neutral site games so i think the raptors get let's say let's say maybe they split the next two they could absolutely win both of them and then celtics win it in let's call it a let's call it a fairly comfortable six but it could be five absolutely yeah and you know this is one of those ones where like Corrado is fully capable of winning two games in a row in this series like that absolutely can happen i mean yeah and if this were normal we were going back to boston garden for two like yeah you'd probably be thinking sweep also toronto they are way too much pride way too much competitiveness to just like give up because they're down to well, and their defensive and, ceiling is crazy high i mean we saw it at stretches of this game yeah absolutely and you know if jason tatum doesn't continue to be awesome like i think they got to come up with some more solutions for him i mean i think it should be ananobi on him absolutely as much as you possibly can and maybe you can save Kyle Lowry a little bit more for offense where he's really struggled and you know I haven't seen much from Lowry to indicate that like that sprained ankle is bothering him but you know he hasn't been necessarily at his normal level but you're kind of back at the point where he's like a little more overstretched than you want him to be offensively going against a a really great defense oh one more thing I want to talk about too Nick Nurse did break out a total junk defense in this game they started off in like a fake two three basically but they actually had Ananobi in the middle this was with more of the bench units they used it when mostly when Boston didn't have their best guys on the floor but even did it a little bit towards the end usually you'll see teams will go to zone off of a make and match up man-to-man on a miss if they're doing it but what this zone was and part of the reason they had Ananobi in the middle was because basically after like a pass or two then they would just match up and go into a man-to-man it was just kind of a way to disguise it so for Boston if they see that they probably should just run their normal man-to-man offense and maybe do it against matchups that you like a little bit better as well but I think part of the reason that they had Ananobi in the middle was so that then he could match up against a guard like if he were down in the corner in a pocket in the middle like you would have in a normal two three then if you're trying to match up 
Ibaka trying to find like a bigger guy might be a little more difficult if he were in the middle versus if he's down on the baseline so I, I that's the theory but that was interesting they that worked pretty well when they were making their run to go up 12 against the Boston bench unit all right well this was a, a fun hour-long podcast on just two games but uh really enjoyed it a lot so let's uh we'll be back tomorrow OKC and Houston game seven we're going to do that for the NBA cast that's at nine eastern so you can follow me on Twitter and get a notification for that there's a Google calendar for that as well that you can just sign up for um, or even like an ICS file if you have some other calendar that you use aside from Google where you could just subscribe to that calendar and then anytime I put it in my calendar it'll just show up on your calendar as well uh, and subscribe on YouTube and you can hit that little bell anytime we go live you just get a, a notification and of course uh dunk down prime only six days left now to subscribe to that and get that special pre-sale pricing dunked on.supportingcast.fm. Talk to y'all next time.